2: UTBN Pinellas Park, W262 CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Moss portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for
0: broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
2: There's nothing in us at which God says, I will declare you righteous because there's something in you that, that I'm attracted to. No, it's without a cause by his grace. God did it as a gift because of undeserved favor. He did it because he did it, not because there was anything in us that would cause him to justify us. It's without a cause. It's a gift. You don't deserve a gift. If you deserved a gift, it's not a gift. The gift is free. The gift is apart from anything that we have done to deserve it.
0: Many years ago, uh, back when newlyweds were almost always poor, my wife and I were barely making ends meet. One day, a friend offered to give us a piece of furniture. While I had no intention of accepting this friend's kind offer, I was raised to work for what I got. We told her it was too expensive. It would be much more sensible to sell it. To my amazement, our friend looked hurt. And she said, Please don't deny me the blessing of giving this to you. I learned an important lesson right then about giving, receiving, and pride. Hello, this is Peter Silseth saying, Welcome to Verse by Verse. We're glad you could be with us today for another lesson from the book of Romans. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is leading us through the first three chapters of this marvelous book. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside for over 26 years and these daily radio Bible classes flow from that teaching ministry. In the beginning of Romans, the Apostle Paul went to great lengths to demonstrate that no one can earn eternal life with God. We are all unworthy, yet God chose to offer it as a gift. Why would he give such a priceless gift to those who have rejected him and rebelled against him all their lives? Why would God choose to give righteousness to sinners like us? Well, we will consider that today on Verse by Verse.
2: Now, sometimes this is very difficult for people to grasp, not because of its definition, but because of their own experience, because they look at their sins, believers do, and they say, how can I be righteous in God's sight when I behave like this? You've missed an understanding of righteousness then, or justification rather. Justification itself makes no change in us, in and of itself. Eventually it will, and we'll see that in Romans, but by its primary definition, it makes no difference in our behavior. There is no actual change in us. It is simply God's declaration concerning us. Let me show you what I mean. If you'll look back at Romans chapter 3, verse 4. Some have accused, in this passage, God of being unfaithful. Paul says, may it never be. Let God be found true, and every man a liar. As it is written, and he quotes from the Psalms, that thou mightest be justified in thy words, and might prevail when thou art judged. What's the point I'm making? Look at the word justified. Does it mean that God can be made righteous? Of course it can't mean that. God is righteous. You can't make God righteous. He is righteous. But you can say, oh God, you are righteous. I declare you righteous. I pronounce you righteous. That's what it means. That's what it means. This is a great definition, a great illustration rather. That's exactly what justify means, to pronounce a person as righteous and to treat that person as righteous. That's why David said, God, you're you're justified. I declare you righteous. See, this is so much more than forgiveness. It's part of it, but it's so much more than forgiveness. If you sin against me, I'll forgive you. I'll tell you ahead of time. I may struggle with it for a while, but I'll forgive you. But I don't have the power, nor do I have the authority to make you righteous. I can say that you are righteous. But I can forgive you. Now, there are so many tremendous truths that to, to lay hold of that centered around the term and truth of justification. For instance, it is a present reality. Do you realize? That? It's not when you die, it is now when you believe in Christ, you are declared righteous. The moment we believe, that's why he says, being justified. Being justified. Not sometime in the future, now. You're declared righteous if you have put your trust in Christ. Another truth that really applies to us is there are no degrees of justification. There are no haves and have-nots. There's not some people who have more of it than you do. You hear a lot about that today. But in God's sight, there's none of that. The most carnal Christian is pronounced as righteous as the most spiritual. Regardless of his behavior. Lot in the Old Testament was just as righteous as the Apostle Paul. Not only that, but our whole eternal security is centered around it. There are some who believe that we can lose our salvation. Absolutely impossible. I say that without uh, any fear of contradiction. Absolutely impossible. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Whom he predestined, these he called... And whom he called, these he also what? Justified, declared righteous, and whom he justified, these he glorified. As far as God is concerned, the person who is justified is glorified. It's as good as, as when it will take place. In God's sight, it's as if you're in heaven already, in your glorified bodies. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? And this is what we'll say. If God is for us, who's against us? In other words, if God declares you righteous, who dares to be against you? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who dares to? Now, Satan does. And Satan says, you're not saved. Look at your life. How could you be declared righteous? But then God says, God is the one who justifies. In other words, it doesn't matter what anybody says. God declares us righteous, and that's where our security is. It doesn't matter if there's a charge against us. It doesn't matter if someone says that you're not saved. It doesn't matter because if God justifies you, then nothing else really makes any difference. If God declares you righteous, then who dares to declare you condemned? That's the point. So our whole security is centered around that. Why did he do it? Why did God declare us righteous? Well, it says, verse 24, being justified as a gift. And we said last week it means without cause. Remember I told you that little kids, you say, why'd you do this? And they say, cause. You wait for an explanation, and there is none. Because. And that's what it means. In John 15, they hated Jesus without a cause. There was nothing in Jesus from which they should have hated him. No reason. Same thing with us. There's nothing in us. In which God says, I will declare you righteous because there's something in you that, that I'm attracted to. No, it's without a cause by his grace. God did it as a gift because of undeserved favor. He did it because he did it. Not because there was anything in us that would cause him to justify us. It's without a cause. It's a gift. You don't deserve a gift. If you deserve a gift, it's not a gift. The gift is free. A gift is apart from anything that we have done to deserve it. But don't be mistaken. And this is where we're going to move on. Don't be mistaken. Salvation may be free to us, but it costs God plenty. It is not free from God's perspective. It's free from our perspective, but it costs God the life of his son. It may be free, as someone said, but it's not cheap. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. What do we mean by that? Let's look. Verse 24. Being justified as a gift by his grace, but through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And that's that second big word. Redemption. Justification. Declared righteous before God. Why? How did it work? Redemption. Redemption. You think of a redemption center and you think of paying a price. You think of redeeming stamps and you think of paying a price. What does redemption mean? The background of this is that in ancient times, slaves were brought into the marketplace. And they were lined up. Very humble, humbling situation. Slave owners would come into the marketplace and they would pick and they would choose and they would Pick who they wanted to purchase, and they would put the price down. Not only did they purchase that individual or those or those individuals, but they removed them from the marketplace. They purchased them, and they took them out of the marketplace, and they did with them whatever they wanted to do. If they wanted to turn around and kill that slave, they could have. That's the picture. The Bible pictures us as in the slave market of sin, under sin, Slaves to sin. And the reason that God can declare us righteous is because Christ Jesus paid the price for us. He paid the price of our unrighteousness. When you think of redemption, think of a ransom. Think of a payment so we can be set free and delivered from our bondage. That is what Christ's death accomplished. And let me explain. The Bible expresses redemption in a number of, of words, of Greek words. Basically, there are three Greek words, that uh, different words to explain the various aspects of the redeeming work of Christ. There is the word, and I only mention this so that it sticks in your mind, I don't usually mention Greek words, but I'm going to mention this, agorazo. Agorazo, you know why I mention that? Because... We get our word Agora from that. In fact, there's a Christian publication, I think it's Moody Monthly, where they have the Agora in the background. Agora. You know what Agora means? It means the marketplace. Agorazo. Marketplace. Redemption. Agora. Agoraphobia means the fear of being in public places. I say that so it sticks in your mind. This word means to purchase property or merchandise. The Lord Jesus Christ walked into the marketplace of sin. And when he shed his blood for us, God says, that's the payment. But the wages of sin is what? Death. And Christ paid the price. He died. And when he died, he purchased us in the slave market of sin. The price was his blood, which really means his life. 1 Corinthians 6 says this word. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20 says, For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. The Holy Spirit is in you, you've been bought with a price, you've been purchased by Christ.
0: In fact, you could say that Christ followers are twice His. He owns us because He created us, and then He bought us again with His blood. That is amazing grace, isn't it? You are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are nearing the end of this study of the first three chapters of Romans. If you would like to hear all the lessons in this series, take note of the web address that I will give you at the conclusion of today's class. Redemption is a complex subject. It helps if we can understand the meanings of the original Greek words that the translators worked with. The first Greek word having to do with redemption speaks of the marketplace. And now here is Pastor Steve with the next word.
2: But there is another word, very similar to agorazo. You just, you just put before the word ex. Ex means out of. Exodus, out of. Exit, out of. Ex agarazo. What does it mean? Christ not only purchased us, but he removed us from the marketplace. When you go into a store and you purchase, let's say, a lamb, you don't leave it there unless it's on layaway and you really haven't purchased it. But if you purchase that, you say, wrap it up for me. I'll take it home. That's ex agarazzo. You purchased it and you removed it. What does it mean? Christ has removed us under the condemnation of the law. Not only do we belong to him, but we've been removed from the marketplace of sin. We've been removed from the penalty and the power of sin. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 says the same word. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He removed us. He purchased us. He removed us. But there is another Greek word, the true, the true, which you really don't need to. Remember, nothing's going to stick in your mind, but that means to set free, to set free. Now, here's the difference. Christ purchased us. Christ paid for us. He purchased us. He removed us from the marketplace of sin. You know what he did? He turned around being our owner and legitimate owner, and he said, you're free. You're free. You're free to do what you want to serve who you want. But you know what we do? This is what the believer does. He says, I'm free. I've been set free by Christ, but I want to be his slave. And so the believer turns around and becomes a bond slave. He says, Master, you have set me free, but I voluntarily choose to serve you all the days of my life. Not because we're forced to, but because we choose to. That is redemption. And the word that is used in verse 24 of Romans chapter 3 That word for redemption includes all of these ideas. He's paid the price. He's removed us and he has set us free. That is redemption. We were under the wrath of God and we were sentenced to eternity in hell. For the wages of sin is death, which means separation from God. We were prisoners. How can God declare us righteous? When there's sin on our record, that's the point. How can God declare us righteous when there's still sin on our record? We're in the marketplace of sin, sold under sin, in bondage to sin. He would be unjust if He did that. You see, His own justice demands that our sin be dealt with. He was not free to declare us righteous while there was sin on our record. God just couldn't say, well... I clear the record. God had to do something. In love, he wanted to do that. In love, God wanted to just say the record's clear and I give you mercy and grace and forgiveness. But his justice said, no, you can't do that. You see, God's attributes work together. God's love can't go in one direction, his holiness in another direction. They cooperate. They never compromise. They work in tandem When God's love works, his holiness works. And God will not violate one for the other or else he would not be God. His justice demanded that sin be dealt with. How did Christ's death do that? What did redemption really accomplish? Well, then we come to our third word. Look at verse 25. This is the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Now that's a big word, propitiation. I can hardly say it. In fact, I can't say it without spitting. It's good that only my wife is in the front row because she'll forgive me. For a propitiation in pagan circles, it meant the appeasing of divine wrath. Appeasing of divine wrath. False deities in the minds of, of people were malicious. They were gods of anger and malice. If the people wanted anything from them, such as victory in battle or or rain or, or crops or harvest, they paid them off. They bribed them. Sometimes they did it with the sacrifice of their children. They appeased them by all sorts of things. But when it comes over into the New Testament, it doesn't mean that because our God is not a vindictive, malicious God who needs to be paid off. The word is the same, but the meaning is different. When you think of propitiation, you do not think of God being bribed. He doesn't need that. But God has been offended by our sin, and his holiness and justice needs to be, here's the word, satisfied. Satisfied. When you think of propitiation, think of satisfaction. The justice of God demanded satisfaction. The law and the lawgiver said, when the law was broken, there must be payments. God said that. It's his nature, it's his character. He needs to be satisfied. Because as I said, God isn't only a loving God, he's also a holy, righteous, just God. God and the holiness of God demands that when his law is broken, there must be a punishment. There must be payments, payments, or else his holiness won't be satisfied. When Christ died, when he hung on that tree, God's holiness was completely satisfied. That's the point. Satisfied. The demands of the law and of a holy God were completely met. Christ died in my place. Christ died in your place. The judgment of God that I deserve, that you deserve, fell on Christ. In his redemption, when he he paid for my sin, he not only was paying for my sin, he was paying the price that that God's holiness demanded. The, The justice and holiness and righteousness of God was completely satisfied in the death of his son. Now listen. Now that that payment was made, now that justice was satisfied, God was able to reach out in love and mercy and grace and provide for us his gift of righteousness. In other words, his propitiation and the satisfaction of the justice of God meant now that God was free to act in mercy and love. His, his, his love was free to operate, though he always had that desire in his heart. He could not operate in love and mercy and grace by providing righteousness for us when there was sin on our record. But when Christ died, it was erased. And God was satisfied. He paid the price. The price that I didn't pay, that I wouldn't pay on my own, but he paid the price. He couldn't reach out in love, giving man righteousness while his holiness wasn't satisfied. God would then, if he did that, be compromising. He always works in cooperation with himself. You see, that's why God can't just say, I forgive you. Some people think that salvation is just coming to God and it's saying, God, I confess my sin. And God says, all right, you forgive it. And the cross means nothing. And some people have said that, and I heard recently where one religious religions professor said that that the death of Christ was the most foolish thing in the world. Because God could have just said, I forgive you and it would have been taken care of. Why did he have to send his son to die? He missed the whole point. God cannot just say, I forgive you. It's excused. God can't just excuse sin. Why? Because not only is God a God of love, but he's a God of holiness. He had to deal with sin. And when that was done, his wrath was turned away. It was satisfied. That's why our our salvation required the death of Christ. God couldn't in love forgive as long as his justice and holiness were unsatisfied.
0: It has been said that the cross bridges the gap between sinners and God. But it would also be a good word picture to say that it reconciles God's righteousness and his mercy. Pastor Steve will have more for us from Romans chapter 3 about God's free gift of righteousness on the next verse by verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff has been serving since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He is planning a trip to Israel this coming spring and you are invited to go along. Here is Pastor Steve with more information about that learning opportunity.
1: I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff from Verse by Verse here on WTBM. I want to tell you about an exciting opportunity to join me on a trip to Israel I'll be leading this May. We'll be visiting those sites in Israel where Jesus ministered, such places as Capernaum, the Sea of Galilee, the Mount of Beatitudes, the Mount of Olives, Jerusalem, and, and so many more sites. If you're interested in learning more about this tour, then you can call the following number and ask for more information. The number is... 877-768-2784 extension 111. That's 877-768-2784 extension 111. The tour dates are May 5th through the 14th. I hope you can join us. One more time, that number is 877-768-2784 extension 111 one. Well, that sounds like it could be a life-altering experience
0: what a great background that would be for Bible study if you missed any of today's lesson or want to make up one or more that you might have missed visit our website versebyverseradio.org that's versebyverseradio.org our program today was the middle part of a three-part message You can listen to the whole message at one time on CD or cassette. If you would like to order one, just call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and the number, and we will call you back during weekday office hours. The number again is 727-441-1714. It doesn't take long in reading the Old Testament to realize that the patriarchs and the heroes of those days did some terrible things. They committed every sin in the book, yet God called them friends, princes, and went so far as to call